We had an incident that happened in South Africa, specifically around small business owner Ubuntu Baba that had to stand up to the retail giant Woolworths after she discovered that her original design was blatantly copied and even sold under the exact name. Many South Africans got behind the story and reprimanded Woolworths for their unethical practice. Marnus Broedrijk, entrepreneur, author, investor, he's also an investor on Shark Tank and CakeNet, Winsland, Hustler, parked his car outside Woolworths saying, stop killing SMEs. In my career, I have found myself in exactly the same boat. And so many SMEs across all industries are experiencing exactly this problem as our dreams and hopes are crushed. In fact, last year, I found myself in this boat again. And I reached my tipping point being copied over and over and over again. Enough is enough. This is why today, this show is for SMEs. How do we protect the future of our business? What is our rights? Is the law for us or against us? We are the hidden figures of SMEs. Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put the kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Before we start the show, if you want to get more inspired, you can visit www.bizcommunity.com and read my column called Future Fit Yourself, where I unpack hot issues in the marketing and business arena to set you up for success. I would also like to remind you that tickets to the Future Fit networking events are selling fast. So don't forget to book your ticket. We have speakers from South Africa's most inspiring entrepreneurs, celebrities, alchemists, and newsmakers to debate, learn, inspire, connect. Now, don't worry. You're not going to get speakers fatigued. We have very fresh new talent and very fresh perspectives to share with you. So go to booyah.co.za. So it's www.booyah.co.za to book your ticket today. Or contact my team at hello at carmenmurray.com. Today's guest, without further ado, Shannon McLachlan from Ubuntu Baba, who's been the victim of this situation. We have Roy Taborer from Taborer Attorneys, who's a patent lawyer who's going to weigh in on the topic. Then we've got Kimberly Stark from Stark Ravings South Africa. And then we've managed to get Marnes Brudrak in the room. So Shannon, over to you. Hi, my name is Shannon. I am the founder of Ubuntu Baba Baby Carriers. I live in Cape Town on the West Coast. I have a four-year-old little boy named Leo. And yeah, I spend most of my time between being a mom, balancing my career, which is now Ubuntu Baba, up and down to the factory, which is on the other side of Cape Town in the southern suburbs. And yeah, basically letting my four-year-old run my life. (laughs) (laughs) Roy? Oh, thanks very much. Uh, A patent attorney, but not only a patent attorney. I mean, sometimes attorneys get a really bad rap. And and I think um, what drew me into this industry and drew me into patent law was a desire to see small businesses and entrepreneurs succeed. That's why I'm here. I'm I'm also an entrepreneur myself. Um, Having dipped my toe into the entrepreneurial space, So I know the trials and tribulations of being an entrepreneur, and it is not easy. It is tough. So on the personal front, just a Cape Tonian by by guest. I'm a guest. My um, wife is Cape Tonian, and she invited me very kindly to live with her. (laughs) So um, I'm from Joburg, but originally from Zimbabwe. And I've been down in Cape Town for about 
two years and uh, loving it. Off now to to enjoy the vineyards, um, work very close to home and have a five-year-old son and a 15-year-old son. Thank you so much for that, Roy. Kimberly? Me. Okay. Hi, I'm Kimberly Stark. Hmm. I like getting involved in other people's careers. I think that would be sort of my my line. I love to see people succeed. I'm an actress. I manage actors. I produce. Yeah, you know, I just try and keep real busy. <laughs> and if you've got a career that needs managing, hey, let's talk. How's that for pickup line? Does that work? That's a proper elevator okay. pitch. Okay, I'm, I'm really trying. Okay. <laughs> okay, Marnus, over to you. Um, I'm Marnus Bredek, and I'm an entrepreneur, and everything in my life is about entrepreneurship. Um, I wrote a book about it. I'm on TV shows about it. I stand up for them, and all my businesses are around small businesses and entrepreneurs. Lovely. And that's such a privilege to have you here to weigh in on today's topic. Okay, so... Steve Jobs quoted once, we have always been shameless about stealing great ideas. Ironically, today, their rival, Samsung, is copying everything that they are doing. So it's not necessarily a good practice to have as an organization because karma is a biatch. It does come back (laughs) and come and bite you. That's my opinion. But Shannon, I think the important thing is to start with your story and your journey with Ubuntu Baba and what happened with Woolworths. Okay, so to start from the beginning, on the 16th of December, I had one of my staff members send me a screenshot of the stage one baby carrier that Woolworths was selling on their online shop. And she said, have you seen this? And I hadn't seen it before, so it was quite a shock. Initially, I was like, just no ways, can't believe they've used the same name as me. And then, you know, started to click through. I went to the website, clicked through, uh, realized that they were using the exact same colors that I was using. And at that stage, I just thought like, wow, that's quite sneaky of them. And I wanted to get my hands on one of these baby carriers. So I really had no idea what I could do to stop them from doing this, but the product was 450 rand. So that's three times less than what I sell my product for. So I wasn't quite sure how they were managing to do that. So I went down to Woolworths and I, I couldn't actually find it on the shelf at that point um, in the branch that I went to. So I asked one of the ladies if they had a stage one carrier. And then she said, well, it should be on the shelf. Let me go have a look. She went to the back and bought one um, for me to have a look at. And I took it out of the packaging and I was just in absolute shock from what I found. It was the exact same waistband pattern as mine and the shoulder straps were identical. The only difference was the square part of the body panel that connects the shoulder straps and the waistband. So um, I was just in absolute shock at that point. And yeah, so from there kind of events transpired. Um, I did a little bit of extra digging on my side And just speaking to the other girls that work with me and just in discussions, we decided to look on our database to see if we could perhaps find any purchases by someone at Woolworths. And we found two purchases. One was delivered to the head office in Long Market Street and the other one was to, I think it's Observatory head office of Woolworths. And then we looked up those names on uh, LinkedIn and we discovered it was the sourcing administrator and the product developer. So when we saw that, we now were obviously adding up all the details and we decided to contact Woolworths, obviously. So I first of all spoke to, I tried to find an attorney to support me to just um, validate this whole situation and what I could do and what I couldn't do. So they assisted me and they recommended that I send an email to Woolworths and just state all the facts and say to them, this is what I'd like. So I did that. I requested that they remove it from their shelves. Um, I laid out all the facts and I gave them a deadline to get back to me by the 3rd of January or otherwise I was going to take things further. I received an email back saying, thank you for your email. This is your reference number. We'll be in touch. Sure. Uh, The deadline, and then obviously I had to go through Christmas and New Year's with all of this over my head, and then 3rd of January came and went, and still nothing. So I phoned the helpline. I tried to get through to someone in the top, but that was quite tricky. 
gave them my reference number and they uh, looked into it, put me on hold and came back and said, it's sitting with our technologist, I think they said, and we'll get back to you in due course. So then I waited three more days. Um, my lawyers actually said to me, you know, I don't know if you want to go to social media. They weren't quite sure. And I said, listen, I can't take this anymore. I, I need to get a response out of Woolworths and this is the way that I'm going to do it. So, yeah, that's kind of how we got to the blog post. The blog post, the famous <laughs> blog post that got the whole of South Africa completely freaks out um, about what happened there because it's not the first time, right? Because it happened yeah. with the, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the humble. The hummingbird and Frankie. Hummingbird, the hummingbird. That is correct. But um, it's not the first time for this to happen. And I think when we walk through Woolworths and we see how Romani creams and various um, FMC consumer products um, are copied and made exactly the same with Woolworths packaging, I think that's already a, a giveaway when walking through Woolworths. Marnus, please tell us a little bit about what your perception is of how this whole situation was dealt with from the beginning. And what is your views on this? Yeah, how it was dealt with, I've said to Shannon offline that I think she has personally dealt with it so well. Uh, no emotional responses, not reacting to all the messages on Twitter. Uh, so I think from her end, she has done so amazingly well. From Willie's side, it was an absolute disaster. I think if I was a CEO and something like that happened, I would come out the same day and say, yeah, I am, I'm going to investigate it. But they didn't, and it took some time for them to to get a response. I think it was a horrible mm -hmm. uh, response from from their end. But from Shannon's side, thumbs up. <laughs> well done, Shannon. What is the current status? So after this was raised, what happened then? Okay, so after the blog post went out, it's gained a lot of traction, obviously, and because we're still like you know in. Uh, in my world, we're a small business, so my cell phone number is is still on the websites as the main contact, and my phone just started ringing and literally wouldn't stop. The newspapers, the radio DJs, everybody just wanted to put this out there into the world, which was obviously awesome for me. And yeah, so the first two days were pretty hectic, but then Woolworths got hold of me. They phoned me, um, a very strange phone call. And they said they would love me to come and join them for a cup of coffee at their offices. And then I said to them, well, I'm actually working tomorrow because I have a job and you guys are welcome to come and talk to me in my shop. And I told them I work at Ubuntu Baba in case they weren't aware. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, we set a date for the next day and, <laughs> and they came, well, their head buyer came down to meet me and yeah, we had a meeting which I thought was also not handled very well. I was told that no stone would be left unturned and there were plenty of stones left unturned. And then, yeah, they went away and then um, I did some more interviews and then I think the, I'm not going to swear on you, but um, <laughs> I'm going to say something hit the fan when I got a, uh, I got a letter from them a few minutes before I was about to go on radio, which was basically bragging about, what great work they do in the SME sector of South Africa. And they sent me a link to a case study on one of the small businesses that they had been supporting. I didn't even click the link. I was just like, uh, what the actual? And then the radio DJ said, you're on air. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and obviously, like, I had a massive adrenaline rush. And, yeah, I think I had an emotional response, Manus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and yeah, so yeah. Then I said, listen, I saw a bit of a bit of stuff on Twitter where people were calling for Ian Moore and why is where's the head of Woolworths and why do you where's your voice, you know, why are they so silent for so long? So I just decided, so well whoever Ian Moore is, can you please call me? Because I actually have had enough now. And like, how are you not embarrassed by what's going on in the media? Like I just was gobsmacked. So that's what led to me getting a call with the CEO of Woolworths. And it was Zyda Rylands that phoned me. And if I'd known who the CEOs were, I didn't actually even know at that point. I just knew everyone was calling for Ian Moore. So now I know that he's actually in Australia and Zyda is, is the lady for South Africa. So we had a great conversation. It was really nice talking to her. 
but yeah, we kind of got down to the heart of the matter and um, yeah, I think that was the most progress that I had made. And then from there, um, I asked them, they had by that stage made a statement, which I was not very happy with because it hadn't admitted that they had an Ubuntu Babacaria in their possession uh, while designing their one. And I was, I wanted that to be known because that just, there's no ways that they would have come up with that design. It's just, it's impossible. So if I, if I may just add, you worked four years on that product. It wasn't like something that you just did overnight in any way. Yeah, so we launched the business four years ago and we designed the product and it was launched four years ago. But where we've got the waistband to today has gone through a journey and we've stuck with that waistband now for like three and a half years of those four years. So that was the biggest part of launching that carrier was the waistband. And so, yeah, that's why I said to them before, I'm interested in talking about any kind of, you know, closing off this thing and settling or whatever. I want them to admit to the public that they had my baby carrier. And then they said, yes, but you also had other baby carriers to draw inspiration from. And I said, yes, and I can do a photo shoot. I own every one of them. I've got those brand names and I can also do a photo shoot with all of those compared to mine. And you will see that I created a unique product. You guys didn't create a unique product and you don't have to say that, but you need to admit that you own my baby carrier. Otherwise, I'm not interested in really going any further. So that's what happened. And then, yeah, from there, we are now talking, you know, conversations about where to go next, what to do with the other carriers um, that they pulled off their shelves, because obviously we don't want that just going to a rubbish dump. So that's going to be donated to a charity, which is cool, at least some nice stuff coming out of it. Yeah. Madness, first of all, this is not a, a problem that just pertains to Ubuntu Baba. This is a big problem overall. The first question I want to ask you is, is there any way that Shannon could have avoided this unethical practice thing of happening? Is there a way that she could have protected herself? Um, what advice would you give other entrepreneurs in this particular scenario and how to handle it? Yeah, I think that's maybe the question to ask Roy, but I'll give you my um, just initial reaction to it. So I think there are a lot of people claiming what Shannon has claimed. Mm. And there's a lot of people who have been bullied by big corporates like Shannon have been bullied. But I think there's also a, a line that we need to draw there and say that people come up with an ideas all the time. Other corporates are doing it. And then they think that corporate stole my idea. And that's not always the case. Like ideas are, are not unique. Like if you've come up with an idea, you can go and Google it and it probably would have been done somewhere. So I think there's a lot of SMEs coming out now and say, I had this idea 10 years ago and now this bank is doing it anyway. And I don't think that's valid. And then there are many corporates with different divisions and departments is working on products all the time. And you get an entrepreneur who goes to the bank with their unique idea and then the bank is not interested and the next two years they roll out that product. It's not because they copied you. It's just because somewhere in the bank, it's their full-time thing and they've been working on it. But what happened here was like, that was like the best bullying ever mm. done by a retailer. And just copying the concept shamelessly was absolutely wrong. So I think entrepreneurs and SMEs also need to be realist realistic about it to say that, yes, I'm going to come up with things. I'm going to have competition mm. and I can't do anything about it. But when something like this happens, it's totally unacceptable. Thank you for that. Roy. What is your take on what has happened here from a legal perspective? Do you think that Woolworths has handled the situation right? And what could Shannon have done to protect herself better in this scenario? Yes, thanks. I agree with Manus. This is a, a cross between ethics and law. And I think this is more unethical than unlawful. And the law is a treacherous, long process. And... Copying per se is not unlawful. The whole of human ingenuity and human progress is always leveraged off a prior product, a prior way of doing something. So it's as part of human history as, you know, as we've ever had. So we copy and we take ideas and we build upon them and we pass them off as our own. But the issue here is not copying. It's how the copying was done. So 
the law in South Africa does not prevent, make it legally impermissible to copy. But the common law, and I'm, I'm staring away from patents, designs, and trademarks for now. I'm just dealing with the common law. And the common law has an issue. There's jurisprudence, there's court cases where they say copy, is, copy at will. If it's in the public domain, copy. However, copy with some degree of ethical input. And this is where the common law is such a beautiful thing because the common law brings in ethics. And if it's unethical, it can be unlawful. The way that you copy can be unlawful. If it's a slavish copying, if it is done like with Shannon's case where they purchased, they pre-purchased two or three items of hers and they went about developing their own product with her product in front of them, I think that's where the unethical and possibly unlawful conduct occurred. So I think that's the point of departure is how she was copied. It's how Woolworths handled themselves appallingly, appallingly, because not only did they then copy her in a arguably unethical and unlawful manner, but they took everything. It's not a case of just taking the concept, the design, the waistband. It's taking the whole thing, holus bolus. It's taking the color. And most objectionably, it's taking the brand or the name. So I think there it goes from being just uh, a bit of exploitation, opportunism rather, and going straight into unlawful activity by the way she was copied, by how they appropriated her brand, how they appropriated the color and the look and feel of her product. And I think there it puts them right slap bang in unlawful conduct. And I think that, you know, we'll get to the patent and trademark aspect, I suppose, uh, a little bit later in the conversation. But, yeah, that's what I think. Thank you so much for that, Roy. Kimberly, what is your take on this? Well, you know, I mean, I can't believe that – it would be considered lawful in any which way. It just doesn't make sense to me that somebody can steal an idea. And I understand, I understand what, what, you know, everybody's saying, but it just feels so wrong to me because it's like, if you've got an idea and it's your idea, how do you safeguard it? I mean, you don't have the huge budgets that some of these big corporates have. You don't have, you know, all the resources that they have. So you put your own time, money, blood, sweat, tears, love, passion into it. But you can't mass produce it because you don't have all those resources. Who stands up for those people that don't have those resources? You know, I mean, in my industry, if you have an idea for a TV show, okay, what you do is you, you write it out and then you pitch it and you try and get a production company and a channel to accept this. You're laying your idea, your script, your, your hard work, your years of hard work into somebody else's hands and there's no way to protect yourself. And I have a real big problem with that because what they do is they change a name, they change a couple of characters around and they get away with it. And it happened to me personally. I worked on a, a script for, oh gosh, I think it was about three years and I pitched it to somebody that I trusted at the SABC and yeah, it was rejected. And about two seasons later, there it was a really, really, really poor version of my hard work. And I was told, and I wish I could say names, but I was told um, quite rudely in my face, well, baby girl, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just like, you work so hard. There's so much love that goes into it. It doesn't matter if you have a copyright on it. We put a copyright on it. We did the poor man's copyright, which is what a lot of scriptwriters do. Each page of the script, you photograph on top of a newspaper with dates showing. And then you send all those photographs to yourself, but you don't open the, the envelope. And that's called the poor man's copyright, which I'm sure is not legal. And I'm sure Roy's going to have fun with that one. <laughs> but that's what we were always told that we should do. And, you know, I mean, I was told... 
like I said, very rudely, that, sorry for you, baby girl. I love that part from a friend. <laughs> um, and what was interesting was a few weeks back, I had Connie Chume on my podcast. And I was saying to her, it's such a pity that artists don't collaborate together, that we don't sit down and, and write together and do stories together and make shows together. And she says, you can't because someone will steal that idea. You know, there can be like four or five people that are working on it together, but it only has to take one person to run with your idea. Who's going to protect us? How are we, how are we going to get protected? I think that's a, that's a, that's a question for Roy. Roy, what is your views on this? Um, okay. So poor man's copyright, that's spot on. You know, what you're doing there is you are establishing a date stamp on the date that you authored a particular piece of work. That's copyright. Wonderful, beautiful. The question is not whether you're protected, what it takes, the money outlay to assert your rights. So let's start now with what I was going to mention earlier, the different aspects of intellectual property. The layman kind of lumps them all together as patents, and they're not. We have copyright. And for, in Shannon's case, I don't think copyright is relevant. But copyright is relevant to an artist. A copyright protects your original, original artwork, original literary work, original musical work, as well as computer programs. Copyright is beautiful and wonderful because it vests in the author immediately that that author authors it and reduces it into some material form. And that is why you went ahead and you put the a work of art behind a, a newspaper to just date stamp that you had authored that on a particular date. So the right is there. It's just asserting that right that costs a lot of money. You have to approach an attorney. And if you are up against the SABC, well, you're dealing with a person with an entity with larger financial resources. So the question there is not that you have the right. The question is, can you assert the right cheaply mm. when you are dealing with someone financially larger than you? So that's copyright. Then we have a patent, and I don't think patents are relevant here either to no one in this conversation. Patents are te to technology. Patents are to cars, to vehicles, to machines, to pharmaceuticals. And I don't think in Shannon's case there is really a patent. I, I stand to be corrected. If there was a new material of manufacture or, or something like that, perhaps. So we'll park patents to the side, and the patent is to an invention, to a technical invention. We have a design. A design is what Shannon had. Uh, a design is to the look of a product. How that product looks, it is a functional design. It is there to perform a particular function. And you would have to file an application to get a design as opposed to copyright, which you get automatically with a design. You have to apply for it. And you have to apply with, for it within six months of the design being released to the public. So you can't do it four years later. So Shannon, yes, I think you had design, the opportunity to apply for design protection. I think that is the best form of protection for you. It lasts for 10 to 15 years, depending on what type of design. And always remember, if you're going to release a new version of your carrier into the market, there is a new design there because it's going to be an iteration. So it's going to be new. And then find a design and do so within six months of releasing it to the public. It is inexpensive. People think that intellectual property rights are expensive to get. They're not. Not in South Africa. In South Africa, it's a cheap jurisdiction. And you can get away with under 10,000 rand for a design filing and a, a granted design. And then finally, we have trademarks. And this is the most important bit. Trademarks abound. And I think here, Shannon was also... It, it's also relevant to, to Shannon's situation where they appropriated her name. I don't know if it was Ubaba that they took. Was it Shannon? Shannon? No, so um, that was they copied stage one and stage two, which was yes. something because I don't know about trademarks. If I had known, I wouldn't have chosen such descriptive names. But yes. I chose something that made sense. And you actually can't trade. Well, you could apply for a trademark for stage one and stage two. But, I mean, even if it did get approved, it could um, be challenged in court because it's very descriptive. Yes, that's right. So that's fair advice. So the stage one and stage two would probably be too descriptive and mm. lack distinctiveness to be valid as a trademark. But certainly Ubaba 
is a great trademark. It's got the device and the logo. But another aspect to trademarks is that you can also um, apply for a trademark to a particular color. So the color becomes very synonymous with your product. You can apply for a color like the Woolworth Square, that red square. Mm -hmm. And I think in a nutshell, so yes, there are intellectual property rights that are there to protect the small person. The issue is not getting the rights. The issue is asserting the rights. Mm. Shannon, I I see that you want to add something. Can you um, tell us what, what your views are? Yeah, so just to add to what Roy was saying a little bit earlier, when it came to the, uh, you know, unlawful and unethical, I think where Woolworths made their biggest mistake was, you know, you're allowed to, in the South African law, as far as I understand it, the copyright infringement law, I mean, maybe just correct me if I'm wrong, but the copyright infringement law states that if you purchase a three-dimensional product and completely copy it exactly the same, branded as your own, you're allowed to sell it. That is completely legal. However, if you try and pass it off as a brand that already exists and has a reputation, that's where the legal implications can come in. So with this situation with me and Woolworths, they were trying to pass their baby carrier off as my baby carrier. So leveraging off my marketing and my reputation by by using targeted Google ads to divert my clients. So if I were to go to court, that would be the angle. But the copyright side of it, it doesn't actually matter that somebody bought the baby carrier. Uh, That's actually completely irrelevant. And then with regards to registering the design, so that's what Roy said is what got said to me as well by my attorneys is that I didn't register my design in South Africa, my waistband design, which is why um, I can't go now and do it because you've got to do it within six months of taking it to market, something like that. And obviously it's been going for for four years now. And so, and then the thing when it comes to the color, so you said you can actually register a color. The problem, we looked into that as well. And the problem with that is, you know, you develop a perfect Pantone color or whatever. And then someone can just change it really, really slightly. And it can still, you know, to the, the, um, person that's shopping, they wouldn't know the difference between a navy and a navy if it's slightly, slightly different. So that's just like a lot of money as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that you're getting guidance from your lawyers, specifically the right way to handle it. But there's also so, so many complications pertaining to your situation. But I do think uh, specifically hijacking the name of your product, your identity that you have formed with your particular audiences, and then taking it out there, claiming to be that. And I think also hijacking your SEO um, and your keywords to hijack your customers is a deliberate attempt in order to, you know, bombard and bully you and remove your customers um, from your base. Martinez, what is your take on this situation? So I agree 100% with you. And again, I don't think that Willis can't do it. I just think it's very wrong of them to to do it. I also want to draw a line between what um, Kimberly said in terms of art and business. Mm. I think if, if you do something as an artist, you come up with a script, you take it out, or you try and get it for three years for someone to take it, then that's great. But I, I don't think we should compare that with entrepreneurship. And I think we need to draw a line there because as an artist, it's unique to you and it's very unique to you. But as an entrepreneur, if you sit with an idea for three years and you don't do anything with it, Correct. you deserve to go out of business. You must start that, that idea. You must, you can't sit with an idea for 10 years and say, after 10 years, someone stole my idea. I could have been so rich if they didn't do that. Uh, that's BS. You need to go out there and you need to do it. So there's a fine line between entrepreneurship and, 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 and being an artist. And I think what, what happened here, yeah, was Shannon. She worked on it for four years. She built a, a brand. She, she, she created her own product and really took that and, and abused it. And that, that's totally Just wrong. Totally wrong. And I mean, the one thing that Marlis is referring to, which I think is also important is, um, the previous, uh, podcast that you will find on the common Murray show. We were talking with Gavin Moffat. And we were talking specifically around this beta culture and how beta culture is so, so important. Don't wait for your product to be perfect. You know, get it 90% right, get it out to the market and then iterate and try and, you know, improve your product as it goes out rather than waiting for three years. I know of corporates 
that have beat up projects that are sitting there probably for three years and they haven't done a thing. And then their corporate's going to go and create that idea. It's not necessarily copied, but what happened was the idea was created because it just seemed to be the obvious thing. And all of a sudden, oh, they stole our idea. And, you know, there's a saying by an author by the name of Stephen Johnson, and he says something so profound, chance favors the connected mind. If you do a lot of research and you are connecting dots all the time, it's just a matter of time before you get to a certain idea. No idea is original. We get inspired by a leaf falling from the sky. We get inspired from a, a truck driving by, a problem that we had to try and solve. There's so many different ways of getting inspiration, and it's only a matter of time of how we start connecting those dots. The interesting thing that I wanted to mention, I was watching uh, the Graham Norton show. For, for those of you who don't watch Graham Norton, I love it. I love Graham Norton. It was my favorite show to watch. And they had Michael Bublé on there. And Michael Bublé said something so profound. He had a conversation with Tony Bennett about ideas because he has this unique tone as to how he sings and, and how he articulates his uh, music. So he said that he always tries to be very, very careful as to how he, he does that. And Tony Bennett gave him this advice. And he said, if you copy a person exactly the same way as how they are doing a thing, then you're definitely copying. But if you're taking inspiration from many people around you, that is research. I think that's the key thing. And I think that I like to call it in one of my courses that I do is don't copy, do simulate, innovate and elevate. Take that idea and then put your own spin on it. And then you elevate it. Shannon, over to you. Yeah, um, just to add on that, like, you know, when you're creating a product, I think everyone was like, yeah, you know, you, or Woolworths said that they drew inspiration from all the different baby carriers. And my thing is also, you don't have to just draw inspiration from within your industry or the exact product that you are creating. Like, for example, with, with my baby carrier, I've always had the stitching is quite bold. So if it's a gray carrier, it's got cream bold stitching. And that comes from, like, I used to love true religion jeans. When I went to America, I remember seeing them and thinking, oh, I love that big, thick stitching on it. And I always remember it was, like, the most expensive jeans there, and I couldn't even buy them at that point. <laughs> and uh, when we did the baby carry, we were doing the stitching, and there was just, like, something missing. And then I remembered that, and that's I've still got a picture of that in my, like, little research and development folder is a pair, like, a shot of a girl from behind just showing the true religion pockets of the jeans and how mm. nicely those stitches were. So that's what, you know, you don't have to just, if you're going to design something, like if it's an app for cell phones, you don't have to just go and look at other apps. There's so many places to draw inspiration from. And I think that's what right. makes a product unique at the end of the day. So you can copy stuff, you know, but then add some of your own personality to it. 100%. Roy, do you think that the law protects us SMEs? Do you think more work can be done there? Um, the laws, to put it bluntly, the law's not there to protect SMEs. You are there to protect yourself by giving yourself and investigating and getting the right advice, entrenching your rights, entrenching your intellectual property rights, entrenching your confidentiality undertakings with the people that you are involved with, and interrogating the contractual and contractual arrangements you have with your partners. Those are all the sum total of all the legal rights that you have around a business. As an entrepreneur, it is incumbent upon you to interrogate, to, to look at those rights, to see where you can strengthen rights, where you have, where there are legal weaknesses, where there is an opportunity for a person that is acting in bad faith to to uh, circumvent you. So it's not for the law. The law provides the platform. The law provides the rights. You've just got to have the rights. And those yeah. rights must be unassailable or as unassailable as you possibly can get them. Perfect. So I want to paint a scenario of something that happened to me a while ago in my career. I've experienced it quite a lot coming out of the, the, the entrepreneur and technology background. And one of it is like, for example, there was an app, well, there was two or three app ideas that I worked on. And I specifically went to go and pitch it to global organizations 
as well as advertising agencies with a non-circumvention as well as an NDA to ask them not please do not just disclose any of the information. And basically what happened was they said to me straight in the room, they, we love this idea. It's absolutely amazing. We want to do hula hoops. However, we feel that the idea needs a more of a 360 approach and we are going to get advertising agencies to pitch on your idea and whoever wins the pitch will then execute the whole project. And there's been another scenario with a technology, specifically an app, because you have to go in to get people to invest in it. It's not like everybody um, goes in with an idea and say, okay, right, I've got an idea for your brand, something specific that we can do to solve problems that you have. You go in with the intent to solve that problem. You go in and share this idea with them. And then six or eight months later, that's all over the billboards. It's all over um, television and they've just tweaked one or two things and it, it appears that it's their idea, but there's a hidden figure behind the scenes. One of my friends, he's been in the situation three times where he's been asked to go for a job interview for a strategist and he would be given a real brief, asked to do the strategy, doesn't get the job. A few months later, that strategy that he's put together actually becomes a campaign. What do we do? Because on the one side is you want to protect, you want, still want to have a relationship with these clients because you do small little ad hoc things for them. So you don't want to tarnish your relationship because it's a small industry. But at the same time, it's, it's shameless. And it, it kind of, and as Kimberly, to her point, is it makes you feel like you don't want to collaborate with people because you can't trust people. And we're living in an age where trust is the currency of the 21st century. So, Madness, first, before we go over to Roy, what is your views on this? Because this is now a borderline between an entrepreneur, this is also the sales and marketing industries, and then the big monolithic powers taking advantage of SMEs. Yeah, sure. I think, I think it's unethical and it's not right to do it. And I think as we move more in, into a new age, these things are going to become more transparent as what happened with Shannon's case here. And I think those companies' behavior will change over time. Again, it's creative. It's what I referred to earlier. It's like there's a fine line with creative. But for, coming from an entrepreneur's point of view, I think business 20 years ago, you came up with this idea. No one has this idea. You went and you patented it or, or whatever, and you protected it and it was yours and you got royalties from it. But that's not how it works in 2019. Mm. Business has changed and it's all about execution. The idea means absolutely zero. You can come up with the greatest idea. Uh, someone else will come up with that idea. They're going to execute it better. They're going to be better than you. You did in the water. It's sad. Um, I, I have to say it, it's sad because you know what? One of those ideas took me eight months with all my research and my development yeah. to put together yes. a blood, sweat and tears. Yes. And my livelihood depended on that mm. because I was so passionate about this particular project. And I don't think that it's, it's a fair way to say, okay, right, I go into an advertising agency. I'm pitching this particular idea and then say, okay, right. Oh, that's amazing. I we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna say to her, we're interested, we're interested in this. And then while they're delaying me by saying, we're interested, we're interested, they're going to recreate it in the back end. Yeah. And then. Yeah. So, sure. I think that's a, that's a creative thing. That's an ethical thing. And it's not what I'm saying. So please don't think I say <laughs> you, you deserve whatever you got. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but the same perception is in the minds of entrepreneurs and that's wrong. Mm. They come up with an idea. They want millions for it. What's your view, Shannon? Well, um, like Harmon's issue, my thing is stop stop pitching to advertising agencies and just make your own advertising agency and, and stop working <laughs> with corporates because they're never going to stop doing it at the end of the day. They're going to have to change their whole culture yeah. and that's going to take a long time. So like a lot of people on Twitter and, and Facebook were going, oh, Woolworths should stock your carrier, blah, blah, blah. And that was put on the table. And I'm just like, why on earth would I go into business with someone that I have absolutely no trust with? I would never do that. Like, I just think it's, must I now be flattered that I have my stuff on the shelves of a corporate? That's, you know, I, I just think mm. that as entrepreneurs, we don't need these people anymore. Like, if you've got a beautiful script to write or something, just self-publish or I, don't, I have no idea about your industry. But, you know, I just think we must just forget about these people and make our own way. Okay. Booyah. <laughs> Can I please say something about Shannon? Like, 
everyone was going crazy. The media was going crazy. And then Shannon tweeted and said, Hey, sorry, I'm not getting back to you. I'm just a little bit in holiday mood. And I thought that's so Cape Town entrepreneur, <laughs> right? And, and, and now again, I think, yeah, in Joburg, Willis wants to stalk me. Of course, I'm going to build a massive, massive factory. And Shannon is like, nah, Cape Town. We've already won that competition. Where's that? Oh, the end competition over here. Totally. Uh, that's so funny. Roy. Can you weigh in on what we've just discussed with regards to um, more of the technology sales and marketing industry and what, what our rights are, especially with NDAs and non-circumventions? Yeah, you know, this conversation is going in a great, in a great direction because you're all right. And I can understand the skepticism around intellectual property. It's kind of viewed as a bit archaic and slow. It takes a long time to get your rights and industry's moving on. We're living in an increasingly fast-paced, innovative world. And I think, and I agree with Manus, entrepreneurs need to be just that, as fleet-footed as their competitors. Competitors are going to copy. They will, they will, they will. If you come up with a great product, the tendency to copy is going to be there. All you can do as an entrepreneur is be as fleet-footed as your competitor. And intellectual property is important because it does form a firewall. It's not an absolute, and no rights are absolute. And those rights, even though some of the 50 years in extent, 20 years uh, or 15 years, what they will do, though, is that they will keep your competitor at bay. Your competitor will think twice. It's a lot easier to go and burgle from the guy that hasn't got spikes and an electric fence around his property. And I think that's what intellectual property is. It's just a deterrent. And it buys you time and to be the dominant player. And I think that's really how we must see intellectual property, not as an absolute. You will get copies. Intellectual property will hopefully keep things at bay. And um, in the interim, what is very important, going back to, in, to non-disclosure agreements, non-disclosure agreements are agreements between two parties. So they have value, not a great amount of value, because if the person on the other side, your company, um, he's going to take your great idea, your great invention, and, and, and disseminate it. So your idea is gone. Non-disclosure agreements are worthwhile if you are dealing with an ethical party. And this is where we get back to what Shannon's point is. Ethics. Not all corporates are unethical. A large part of the uh, corporate culture is unethical. It's highly competitive. It brings yeah. an unethical. <laughs> Love that. They're not all unethical. You just yeah. have to think of Virgin and you have to think of great brands like that where they really, really value their ethics. They're not compelled to be ethical because of the law. They're compelled to be mm. ethical because it makes good business sense. Mm. Sure. There's quite a lot to think about. Clearly, you know, I think there's definitely lessons to be learned from from this whole scenario. And I think what, what I would like to do is maybe just go around. We'll start with Joburg <laughs> this time and just go around as to what is the solution? Because we have a collaboration issue, which is actually we want to grow the economy together. How do we do that? So what is the, the lessons that we can learn from this situation and how can we protect ourselves better? And how would you apply that to your own industry? I have to actually agree with what Shannon says. I'm very happy to tell you that I'm working on another project and <laughs> I got myself a crew and we've shot it. And <laughs> now that I've got it and it's hard copy, now I'm going to find the finance for it. So I think that taking the initiative and even though we don't have the finance and all the, the funds for it, just going for it. And I mean, that's exactly what you were saying as well. So we've gone for it. In, in terms of collaborations, I, again, ethics, yes. I think you need to stick with people that you can trust. And, you know, I think if you're going to collaborate, collaborate with somebody that you do trust and that you really want to work with. Why collaborate with somebody that you've got any issues with or you've got any fears around? Because somewhere in the back of your mind, you're always going to be a bit concerned. Now, obviously, I'm talking about the artistic side of things and not the entrepreneurial side of things. But yeah, 
for, for the artists, I say, collaborate with someone you trust and shoot the stuff yourself now. <laughs> Boom. Shall we drop the mic now? Drop the mic. <laughs> Booyah. <laughs> Booyah. Madness. Yeah, I think it's an exciting time in what we're living in. To your point now, um, I'm seeing friends who's like 16, 17 years old who's recording their own music videos on their iPhones in their lounge. You don't need that million rand budget anymore. You can do it yourself. And I think that's my my, my uh, lesson for entrepreneurs is to see how you can do it yourself. Business isn't the same as it was 10 years ago. It's fundamentally different today. It's not about the idea. And here's, I think, a golden nugget. We can actually... Um, perform better than corporates in this time because when you come up with an app this afternoon you can go and plan it this evening you can hire an Indian web development company and in two weeks time you can have an app a corporate will have meeting after meeting designing that app agreeing on it and it will take them three years so we've actually got the advantage in this time we just need to view business differently no more ideas all about execution Yes, and it's all about how it gets executed. Ideas 100%. are all about being executed. I actually had one of my clients who said something to me so profound. She says, your idea is not good enough if people can execute it, execute on it. And it's always something that you need to remember is like, uh, you know, on that. From my, from, from my perspective, also to Kimberly's point, I'm very much an energy person and feeling the energy of the people around me. And one thing that I totally believe is following my gut. It took me a very long time to, to, to learn that lesson and countless mistakes over and over and over trusting people that are just going to let me down. I think the most important thing is trusting your gut, but also to be more independent. And to Madness's point also is something that I truly believe is it's such an exciting time to be in business because we are actually the people that can be agile. Corporates are being taught now how to become like startups. They have to go back to the roots to understand how did we begin this giant? And, um, the, 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 you know, if you look at the, red tape and all of that. One thing in the technology space is with an app, you can go in with an idea. If a company takes too long to make a decision on it, the technology has changed mm. and you can't do it. So it's a big problem. So if you want to be first, you got to get your product out there. And that's back to the beta culture. Um, Shannon. Mm. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's going with your gut feel completely. I think that's so important. Like when I've been hiring people to work for me, you know, they've just landed up that the people that I've hired, I would hang out with them in real life. You know, um, my best friend works with me and it's just so nice. And everyone warned me against it. Everybody said, don't work with your best friend. That's crazy. I mean, we have the best <laughs> time ever. Like meetings are like, I mean, you can go out on a Friday night and have a meeting together. You know, it's amazing. And I think like lessons and stuff like that, is uh, there was quite a few journalists that follow up on the story and they said, oh, what did you learn from this experience? What would you have done differently? Do you have any regrets? And I said, you know what? I don't think that's the way to look at it because the whole reason I like won this over ethics is because of the way I did things. Like our community, the way I built the business from, you know, I never, I never you had shareholders or investors or whatever. And I did it the way Manus said is like, you just get your, you get one customer, you get two customers and you start to build your business like that. So I think that's still the way to do it. And I mean, from this conversation, it sounds like IP law is just really a warning to people and it doesn't even work anyway. So the whole system is changing. You know, I think the way you, the way you, you, you build your business is, is going to determine how you can stand up to a corporate. The only reason I was able to stand up to them and get them to pull the product is because of the community. And that's what I did right in my business, not what I did wrong, you know. So I mm. think that there's a completely different path to follow going forward for entrepreneurs. And it's, it's actually nice because you can actually enjoy it. Wow. Love it. Love it. Roy, what is your feedback and what is the lessons you think we can take from this and to apply to our businesses? Well, ouch, Shannon. Um, IP doesn't work. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Madness's face as well when you said that. <laughs> it, yeah. yeah. No, it's I'm in so much trouble now. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Me. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that requires a little rebuttal, but no. In summary, um, everyone has got absolutely valid points. Fleet-footed. 
you've got to remain irrespective of what you have. You've got to remain fleet-footed. And as an entrepreneur, you are you have got an inherent competitive advantage over the monoliths of uh, corporates in South Africa, simply because they are weighed down by decision-making. And you have a passion as an entrepreneur, so your ideas are executed with love, passion, and ethical goodwill, and employing people, and economy work, and you've got backing of government. IP does not sell. You cannot sell IP. You do not sell ideas. You do not just sit back and think, well, I've got a great idea. Um, I want a million rand for it. What sells are great businesses that are underpinned by ethical, dynamic entrepreneurs. And as an adjunct, as an aside, with the cherry on the top, IP rights. If you've got them, if you can get them, get them. It just adds value. And if you can get it, and this is, this is the, 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 the nub, if you can get IP rights, trademarks, designs, patents, get them. They are worth something, and it's a, it's the cherry on the top. It's the it's the cherry that makes the business package just that much more appealing to a investor and to the general public. Fantastic. We're going to close off this discussion, and I'm definitely going to write an article um, further on on this piece. I think it's something that we need to bring to the attention of of SMEs and our fellow. SMEs and, and get them motivated, but also just to alert them. But from a fun perspective, if you all watch Netflix, which I'm sure you do, there's a show called A Good Place. And this is about four people that die and they go to heaven. And the, the, the scenarios that's happening there. And one of the guys is a professor in ethics and he's trying to teach all the demons how to become ethical. But it's a very fun <laughs> Fun. It's got Tony Danson in it, and it's just, it's it's really hysterical. My husband, I wake him up when, at night when I watch it. So do go and watch a good place, just as a little bit of inspiration, and always have the ethics thing in the back of your head. I think we as SMEs, um, I think we also steal ideas from 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 other people. I think we also get inspiration. So it's a two way street as well. But it was it's just something good and fun to enjoy. Now, Roy. Okay, so. What movie, picture, video always makes you laugh no matter how often you watch it? <laughs> Something about Mary. What's the dumbest thing someone has argued with you about? Intellectual property. <laughs> <laughs> Name a quote from a movie. Uh, um, pass. Okay. Shannon. Um, what weird food combinations do you really enjoy? Oh, uh, pasta and tomato sauce. That's not weird. Oh. <laughs> okay, you ethics. Okay, what is the best, worst practical joke that you've played on someone um, or that someone has played on you? Uh, when I was young, I used to hide in my sister's cupboard until she came in her room and then give her a fright when she went to bed. <laughs> okay, what goal do you think humanity is not focused enough on achieving? Uh, world hunger. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you guys got a five out of ten. Okay, oh. listen, there's some, there's some fibos going on here. Oh, okay, here okay. it comes. It's now Joburg time. Okay. Oh, <laughs> okay. On your marks. Madness, what current trend do you hope will go on for a very long time? More people starting small businesses. As a child, what did you think would be awesome about being an adult, but isn't as awesome as you thought it would be? Um, having movies. I'm from Harry Smith. <laughs> How much do you think names affect the outcomes of people's lives? Zero. Um, what are some of the dumbest lyrics you've heard in a song? Um, I believe I can fly. Um, <laughs> if you had a giraffe that you needed to hide, where would you hide it? In the zoo. Okay, over to Kimberly. What is the silliest thing you've convinced someone of? Um, that I'm blonde. What values are most important to you? Truth. What's something commonly done that gets progressively weirder the more you think about it? Life. What is the biggest overreaction you've ever seen? You. <laughs> what questions would you like to ask a time traveler from 200 years in the future? Are there really dragons? Oh my god! You Hell yeah! Hell yeah! <laughs> 10 out of 10, and you do it before the 60 seconds! You guys have a question there. You guys have a question there. <laughs> 
Bad Ethics. Ethics. Mark Drop. Mark Drop. <laughs> that was fun. But mine, mine were all true. Yours Actually, were all true, but you answered with one. Your, you answered with one cent with one word. Oh, that was so clever. <laughs> thank you but don't feel don't feel dismayed you guys have been great i think that you all have contributed so much to everybody and i just want to thank everybody for their time and please for our audiences out there do subscribe to the common murray show you can do it on itunes you can do it on spotify you can do it on google Podcasts. so many varieties that you can subscribe to and we will check you on the other side and we've got some big surprises coming up so stay tuned in with the other podcasts thanks guys thank you bye you've been listening to the carmen murray show another solid gold podcast for show notes and more episodes, visit solidgoldstudios.co.za slash Carmen Murray.